I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode, and you're listening to Recode Replay, powered by digital media. Now here's an interview from the stage of Code Media. Gabe, can I embarrass you for a second? Maybe you won't be embarrassed. It's, it's great that you're here, but I think you were most excited last night about, about getting an autograph. Yeah, Spike Jones. From Spike Jones. Yeah. Do you want to tell people what you had Spike Jones autograph? I had him autographed a, a VHS of Mouse, which is the most important skateboard video of 1990s in the 1990s. Should we explain what a VHS is? <laughs> yeah, right. It was awesome. He had a Sharpie. <laughs> had a Sharpie and, and, and everything. two tapes in a bag. I watched that thing a thousand times. Made me so happy. That you, did you get the autograph? Absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> um, so let's explain who you are to this crowd, because I think a lot of them um, may not know Machine Zone. They may, know, they may know the game, but they may sure. not know what, what it is that you do. So Machine Zone's a real-time technology company, but what we're famous for is for Game of War and now uh, uh, Mobile Strike. These are the casual, mobile, free-to-play games. They're hardcore mobile free-to-play games, yes. Uh, and, and if you don't do those things, you might still be familiar with what you do because you advertise a lot on, in addition to the phone, television. We are a, a, a very large-scale buyer on mobile and television, yes. Mobile and television. So last year you had ads with Kate Upton. Kate Upton, Conor McGregor. Um, moved to Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yes. So the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger ad that everyone saw on television for the last couple of months, that's yes. you? Yes, Okay, we were going to show a video, but then we realized <laughs> you guys have all seen that ad, I assume. Has everyone seen the ad? Everyone seen Arnold so, Schwarzenegger yeah. on television? Yes. No, no one has seen no it. No one's seen it. We still right, have some work more. to Buy um, more. <laughs> so explain, first of all, how you got into gaming because this is not your first, first run at the game. Um, I started in the game industry at Atari, the real Atari, um, back in Milpitas, California in 1999. And I worked in the coin-op industry for eight years before I got into... Actual arcade Coin-op arcade, yeah. Uh, and uh, got into the free-to-play industry in 2007. And, and again, we'll just level set for people here. Free-to-play games mean what? Free-to-play games are games that you can download for free and play um, until you choose to make it an app purchase. Right, so, and this is a model that was popular in Asia, didn't show up in the U.S. until recently. Till around 2007, yes. Um, for a while, so if you wanted to buy a game, for, even for an iPhone, right, you paid money for it. You gave Ro, uh, Rovio two bucks to buy Angry yes. Birds. Yes, And that switched over. But be, I want to back up again. So how did, so you, you didn't just start at Atari, right? You did some interesting stuff in between Atari and... So I went to Atari and, I, and I, uh, my first company, I made a game for the U.S. military called America's Army. I ported their PC game to the arcade. So you made an arcade game for the military? Yes. What did you, you learn working for the military? Um, they care a lot about simulation. Yeah? Yeah. Which means what? Uh, they build a lot of interesting. Uh, they were building a lot of really interesting um, simulation technology for running different kind of scenarios at the time. So let's move up to Machine Zone, uh, Game of War. I always get the name wrong. It's Game of War Game Fire of War. Age. Yes, <laughs> got this colon in there. It's tough for me to remember, but people would play it. Um, that was not your first game, Machine Zone, right? No, first game was iMob, which was January two thousand nine. It was the first free-to-play game on iOS. So prior to that, if you wanted to play a game on the iPhone, you paid money to play it, generally. Uh, well, it was the first game where we were selling in-app purchases, essentially, in kind of a, about a year before in-app purchases were enabled, but we were selling paid apps to unlock content in the free app. Right, so the app. idea is that the, the game is free, you play it, eventually it gets frustrating enough that you want to sort of move past a level and we give you some money. Uh, no, more like you play it for two to four weeks and you're probably playing for three hours a day. So you make a decision that it's worth spending money on. And, and it's a sort of classic freemium business, right? Yes. Where you're converting yeah. a 
low single digit percent of the people? Yeah, everything. Everyone else plays for free. Most people play for free, yes. Um, so that's a big, giant hit, that game. Game of War is pretty big, yeah. Uh, can you give us a sense of scale? Um, well, it's the largest MMO. I think it's the largest MMO in the world. Let's translate MMO for this. Uh, multiplayer audience. online game. Um, it's, a, uh, it's the largest real-time game on, on mobile. Uh, it's probably the largest real-time game in the world, actually. So, so you have a giant hit game. This is sort of the, the holy grail. Right, and there are a few people in the gaming world who've created a giant hit games. Sure. Um, and then there is a long now history of people saying, "Well, we're going to do more than this. We've we've reached Angry Birds, Candy Crush. Everyone sort of stops at one game. Maybe they get to a second game. Um, having one hit game can make you an enormous amount of money. Right? You can never make another game again and continue to make a lot of money." Um, but you guys are trying to make more games. So how are you thinking about avoiding the pitfalls that other gaming companies So Mobile Strike's already in top five. It's number four on Android right now. It's a new now. game. Yeah. Um, it's number four on Android right now, number five, six on iOS. So we did it twice. So how are you thinking about getting... It's easy. So you just said, oh, we, just, we, we nailed it. We, we, we did a second game. How did you do that? What, what do you think you're doing differently than your peers are? Uh, well, for... The player experience, we, we really care about player-to-player -player interaction. So it's, um, from a content perspective, I don't believe I'm creative enough to come up with something that everybody will love. So I create scenarios for people to play with each other. And whatever they do with each other is far more interesting than anything I can come up with. So it's, so it's more of like a social a network? Yeah. We, we, I, we monetize social networking better than anybody else in the world, by far. Um, but it's, it's essentially a highly structured chat room. Right. So, um, and, and again, did you reach that? So you figured that out with the first game. Yeah, back in 2009, yes. And now you think, all right, we can just replicate this with future games? We've done it 13 times, yeah. But there's only one other big hit, though, right? Well, Game of War was our first. The other ones were all top-grossing games. It was just that the market changed a lot in 2012, 2013. What changed? Got a lot bigger. Why? A lot bigger. Uh, well, uh, Distribution, um, Facebook came online, YouTube came online, a lot of distribution channels came online that weren't available before. So before Explain that... Explain because Facebook was around before 2012. But they weren't doing in-app, in uh, sorry, app installs. Okay, so um, let's, this is an important part of this business yeah. for these people to understand. Yeah. So app install ads are... <laughs> Uh, app install ads on Facebook or uh, hundreds of other channels, uh, you, you essentially pay cost per install. Right, so, so you're you, paying Facebook every time someone downloads that game. If Facebook deserves the, the payment, yes. If they're attributed towards Facebook, yes. Right, and that's a whole other subgenre. But the, the broad idea is you can, it's, you found this very effective way of marketing specifically to, to install an app. It's been a big booming business for Facebook primarily, but I think other folks as well. Uh, it's a big booming business, period. Um, uh, mobile media has kind of converged on app installs because for, for many reasons, but uh, that, that seems to be where it's going to be for a while. Um, there, there was, there's an open question about sort of how big that app install business, what percent that app install business is for Facebook. Um, who's going to win? Like, do you, is most of your app install advertising on Facebook? No. No. Uh, we work on 300 different channels. So, and Facebook's not the biggest no. percentage of those? No. It's distributed evenly? Um, it's pretty even, yeah. And, and that's, on, that's on purpose. But yes, it's, it's pretty even, yeah. You uh, have to. Twitter, Twitter said in their last 10Q that the app install ads had declined for them. Any idea what's going on there? 
Um, well, Twitter's going through a lot of different things right now, uh, but I think that uh, they probably just need to refocus their engineering efforts on it. Um, they, they definitely have some catching up to do when it comes to targeting and things like that. But so. they're, they're, they reach enough people for that to be a worthwhile place for you to be. Uh, we, we are a large advertiser on Twitter, yes. So, so app install ads come on in 2012, 2013, and they sort of supercharge that one particular game, or they supercharge all of your games? Well, it just, it, so mobile, mobile gaming is the most frictionless business that the world's ever seen. No, nobody's ever seen anything like this. You've got three billion devices. I can put a billboard up on the side of a freeway. You can, or let's say the side of the street. You can take out your phone out of your pocket. You can go to the app, one of two app stores. You know it's either the Google Play Store or the Apple iOS Store. You can download the app, and you can start playing and potentially, maybe, if you like the game, you can spend money on it all within 120 seconds. You can't, you can't sell water that efficiently. You need water to live. I have to distribute water. This is all instantaneous, worldwide, instant distribution with potential instant engagement and instant monetization. That sounds awesome. Did you know that was coming, or did that, was that a happy surprise? No, that was, no actually, no, no, it was a happy surprise. It, but it's... it's um, the potential, so why you see Machine Zone so much, why you see it on TV so much, why you see it so much when you're online, is because the potential is literally the whole world. The business is the whole world. Everybody will download a free game at some point. It's a free game. So our goal is how do you, how do you get it to everybody? That's, that's it's really, really tough. So media buying has become really important to us. And, and during, I've kind of hear, been hearing some shocking comments, to be honest from the platform owners over the course of this conference so far about what they think about media and where it's going. Um, really like. kind of just really bizarre statements around how I want to create the next gen media platform, but I want to get away from programmatic buying and I want to bring back the 1950s model of, uh, of fixed CPM on my digital content. Um, it's this. It's trying to bring television-style advertising to digital, trackable uh, media, and it frankly doesn't make any sense. So let's unpack that. So, so you're saying programmatic, i.e., robot technology-driven ad uh, yeah. placement and purchasing. That's not only the future. That's now, and we're not going back. We're not going back. No. Does that only work for 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 what you do for this awesome no, awesome absolutely not. business? So what, what's the the marketing? I, I think we could consider ourselves experts in buying at this point. Um, and there hasn't been any representation on the stage from a buyer. There's a lot of people selling things, and there's a lot of questions around, well, how are you going to make more money? And they By say, the way, it's not an accident that we have you here. Yeah, right. How are we going to make more money? Well, we're going to raise prices. Um, and then maybe another weird comment last night about how we're going to get some ad tech. We're just going to add some ad tech. The, there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the internet means for media companies. It means that we're very quickly getting to a point where we can value your eyeballs. We, we're not going to just talk about how many you have anymore. That's gone. Forget it. No one's going to give you money because you have eyeballs. We want to know if they're real because we know that there's a lot of fake eyeballs. There's a lot of fraud, right? We want to know if it performs when we buy it. We want to know what the effects are. Um, we want to know if we can buy more. Uh, so price discovery and value discovery 
is happening. So again, you, you're, you're, for you guys, it's not simple, but it's, it seems like it's more simpler than, say, someone selling a car or someone selling a movie. Yeah. You said this is the thing that you can that's see an ad for and buy it. That's because the later. market itself is perverse. The, the media publishers can't get an engineer to work for them they, they can't do it. No engineer wants to work at a media publishing there's company. A couple. There's a couple. There's a couple. But here, I'm sorry. They want to build. They want to go work for Elon Musk and go live on Mars. They want. They go to school. They're just killing time at Buzzfeed. They, 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 they go to school. Really great engineers go to school to build awesome things that the world has seen before. It's very difficult to get an engineer to work on ad technology. It's really, really difficult. So, but the, they're working for you. We're a real-time company. So the the. Um, the publishers are kind of dipping their toe in the water in digital. And they're only doing it halfway, and they're getting really scared by it. They're like, oh, I don't know what's happening. I'm not making the kind of money I should. I make more money on TV, so let's just go back to TV. Let's just pretend that TV is going to be the future. Um, the agencies, engineers don't want to work for agencies either. So agencies are all saying, well, we'll get you the best buys. We're going to help you, except... Their multiples on their valuation are 0.81x for an agency, for a buyer. So the board is screaming at the CEO saying, what are you doing? We need more salespeople. We need to get more sales because you're only worth what your sales are. If you make a billion dollars in sales, you're worth a billion dollars cash. So go hire more salespeople. Salespeople, there's no engineering working at these places. So the salespeople all want to take the most money away from you as possible, because they're getting 20%. So they're saying, how do, I get, how do I get the buyer to spend more? Who cares whether it actually works for them? So let's be clear. When you guys are buying your ads, you're not going through agencies. No. Given your dis- you, you can't. You're not a friend you, of the you, agency. You can't. You, you can't go through them because they're not incentivized to do the right thing. They're incentivized to spend the most money possible. The publisher, who is incentivized to not quantify their audience... And the agencies and the publishers work together in that. And the buyers, and if there's any buyers in the audience, they'll all agree. Buyers are universally unhappy. Talk to any buyer. Every buyer is unhappy with the market. Because? Because there's a, there's a, huge, there's a push to avoid quantifying their media. They want to actively avoid pricing their media. They want to set prices out of thin air and say, I have eyeballs. And the buyers, digital, digital breaks that all down because it's all trackable. You don't need to do that anymore. And so, but the buyers, and here's the problem, the buyers themselves, the people with the money, the people with the businesses, and what, what drives me crazy about, about this particularly is that the media companies typically, the publishers, typically don't have what I would call a real business. The users that use their, their, their media don't want to pay them anything. They're actively trying to avoid paying them stuff. That's the classic answer. They're giving them their attention. <laughs> they're tr- well, okay, they're giving their attention, but they're trying to get it for free, period. All right? They want everything for free. So the, me- the media publisher depends on someone else who has a real business, who actually makes money, to give them money. You're making me feel very nervous it's right true. now because I work at a media company. Yeah, well, you depend, you, depend, you depend on people who actually have something people want to pay for to give you money so they'll, then you can have a business, right? I will point so, out that many people here are paid. No, that's, so, I, I understand. You. And this is a great format to, to do that, right, to monetize. But the digital media, okay, the buyers, the buyers don't have the proper insights. So if you talk to anybody who does any buying, 
They're tired of fraud. They're tired. I mean, some of the largest, some of the largest publisher uh, uh, networks in the world. I, I won't name names. You can't even get country data from them. And these are extremely large public companies where you say, I want to buy an install from you. But let me go back and... And, and hold on, I, I want to finish with this. I guess you're so, going to finish. So the, the, I want to finish with this. It's super important. It's really important because I think what we're seeing, what, what, why media is kind of cons it's consolidating or maybe even collapsing in on itself, is that there's a denial on what their business really is and what the true value of what their business is. And they're doing everything possible to avoid real value, real value measurement of what they do. They don't want it. And you heard it last night. Like, we don't like, the quote was, I'm getting away from pro programmatic advertising to go native, non-skippable ads. Okay? No one's going to buy that. Why? Why would anybody buy that? When I can go to another network, get real measurement, I can find out whether it worked or not, and I can rebuy it at scale. Why would I go buy things like that? So there's, there, but the, the reason why all of this is broken, there's a final piece. The, the, the publishers don't want anybody to quantify anything. The agencies just want the most money possible because their multiples are terrible. And the buyers, the, there's nobody building software for the buyers. So if you say, I want to go out and do a sophisticated, large-scale marketing campaign, there's no help for you. So the ad technology that helps the buyers is really poor. Again, um, you're going to make me go backstage and cry, and we'll just have to cut the interview. No, hold on. No, it's no, it's. It, it, but it's the truth because I am a large scale buyer. I know what I'm talking about, right? But but here's. And, but let so me ask what, what, I'm going to finish. There is what's going to happen. What's going to happen in this scenario is that buyers are going to become more sophisticated, whether everybody likes it or not. It's inevitable, and everything's going to get repriced. May I ask you a question? Yes. You have this product that you said is this awesome product, works sure. great on the phone, you can, you can see the ad, you can buy it, I can start paying you within seconds. Lots of things don't work that way. I can't go buy toilet paper immediately. Doesn't matter. Everything, media will be quantified, period. So even though it, it, there's going to be, there will be a leap from the product you've made, which monetizes immediately to everything up the chain, and you'll be able to track it at some point and demand value for it. Yes. Absolutely. And it hasn't happened yet just because everyone's lazy, everyone's scared. It hasn't happened because, well, it hasn't happened the, look, the largest, the second largest company in the world is a performance marketing company, Google. Facebook is $300 billion because they're a performance marketing company. They don't want to say that, but that's But they it. are. I mean, the people who give them money buy it because it's performance marketing. Yet media is actively avoiding performance marketing, and they're wondering why their values are shrinking. But, but pretty, Facebook, Facebook aspires, right? They're, they they don't want to say out loud that they're a direct marketing company. They, their aspiration is we want we want to be selling Toyota ads. We want to be moving up to brands. Yeah. So let, let's talk about that. And, and there's and there's a reason why the publishers want to work with brands, and it's frankly because the brands are very unsophisticated, and they know it. So sophisticated buyers are very painful to work with because I'll go and say I'm you not. You seem paying. like you're painful to work I, with. I have to be. I have to be. I have to be because people want to steal from you, okay? They do. There's a lot of fraud. They don't want to give you insights into what's going on. They actively avoid it. And brands aren't smart enough, frankly, to know that they're getting ripped off. So they write big checks, and they actively avoid performance marketing. But yet Google makes $70 billion a year because they embraced it. So you figured out performance marketing, you figured out how to make it work on Facebook, you figured out how to make it work on, on the phone, all these digital trackable places. I get it. I get that story. And then last year, I'm watching Television. Super Bowl, and there's Kate Upton ads. 
totally untrackable, seems like it's a vanity not buy, true. seems not like true. you're just sloshing around money. Why are you spending so much money on non-digital formats if you, digital works so well? Um, so digital is by, so first of all, television, while I mean, I hear last night 75% of the buys or the money, television's actually really small in comparison to digital. It's very, very small. Small for you. Small, period. The audience is really tiny. The response rates are really bad. Television is, is just is something, I wouldn't recommend television to anybody unless you were buying as much as you could on digital. Because the only thing that you really get out of TV, because it's overpriced, they're actively, uh, I mean, I can, I can go on and on, like, I, I, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but there's a lot of nope. very expensive television out there that no one watches the commercials on. And the buyers who are buying it don't know it because they're not tracking it. So we know it. We're buying in 50 countries on TV, and we track everything that we do. So we're very careful about what we do. But, but again, there's limited data. So how can you track what the performance that of that data is? It's, it's not that limited. There's one, the biggest thing that you see out of television is that it creates a halo effect. We, we, we buy more than what you see on the impressions and what you get from the Super Bowl every day. Okay? And, uh, but before you go on TV, you're not a brand. There is social power. You, sound like, you sound like a traditional media There is public. social power to it. But the value of what you get out of it is only really captured in digital. This is what we've learned. So if you buy television, there is an effect on digital marketing, meaning that you can measure the click-through rates. Your prices do go down when you buy on television. But if you were to buy just on television, you would probably go out of business. So I don't know, what, what does Arnold Schwarzenegger get to be in a Machine Zone ad? What does he get? He gets yeah. to be in the top what, 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 do you, what do you pay him for that? Oh, we, we can't discuss He doesn't work for free, right? He's expensive. He doesn't work for free. You're, you're, you're all about efficiency. You're all about figuring out how to, how to squeeze this down to the exact penny. Um, it seems like hiring an, an ex-action star with a lot of, lot of uh, plastic surgery, there's probably a more efficient that's, way to get someone. pretty mean. He's not on stage, so I can say <laughs> it. Um, why, why go ahead and, and buy his services? Why buy Kate Upton services? Why switch from Kate Upton to Mariah Carey? What drives those decisions when you're hiring celebrity talent for your TV ads? Um, we don't just use them for television. We actually look at online more than we look at what, how they're going to perform on TV, to be honest. So can you test out Arnold Schwarzenegger versus... Unfortunately, you know, you know, he wouldn't let you. But, right. um, but uh, there's a lot of different ways to measure these things before you get started. So you didn't just arrive at Arnold Schwarzenegger because he was available. You... No, Arnold Schwarzenegger is an international star. I mean, that's what people misunderstood about Mariah Carey. She's the number one artist in Japan. We care a lot about Japan. She's huge in South America. So we think about the whole world. We don't just think about the United States. Those, those, those videos, the, the, the spots are very expensive, so you have to be careful. We're, we're trying to market to everybody at the same time, the whole world at the same time. So, you've, you've... so it, you have to think about how are you going to create a message that will drive a response from everyone. You've built this big apparatus that allows you this very sophisticated way of purchasing digital ads. Um, you say it works now on, on traditional media. Are you keeping that all for yourself, or does that become something you can license out to the, these benighted people who are stuck in the dark ages? I, <laughs> well, he say stuck, stuck in the, it's stuck in the dark ages. Uh, once again, they want to be. I mean, they really want to be there. It's scary to them to actually have to price their eyeballs, because it's a lot nicer to just say, I have five million people. Nobody knows what that means. Five million where? Doing what? what how much, what's value? Do they, do they actually buy things? When they, do they click on things? Are they real people? Um, 
So there's, a, like I said, there's a real avoidance of that because the kinds of people that are in those businesses aren't engineers themselves. Okay, but some of them are going to eventually go, you know, that Gabe guy sounded pretty smart. I, I want some of what he has. Can so they buy I do it from think, you? I do think that the market is dying for a sophisticated buyer to appear. Dying. Like, I, I think that the, there is a, a real moment in time right now where if a sophisticated buyer appeared, that the whole market might get repriced very, very quickly. Because once people have insight into how they're spending their money, brand marketing will completely disappear. It will go away. No one will do it anymore. No one will be able to justify it because it'll all be, marketing will become a justified business. You will have to justify what you're doing. And because it's, right, because the logic should be Facebook saying, well, we have all that ability, we're yes. going to provide that data to you. You're saying they don't actually want that to happen. They want people to eventually no, uh, no, sell brand ads. No, they're embracing it, but everybody wants their day to be easier, right? So it's, it's not something that, um, that the networks or the agencies will do on their own. It needs to be a buyer. A buyer has to do it. And that's what hasn't appeared. You haven't seen a, a sophisticated buyer appear because they, they break all the incentives that the other guys have. Because they're, they're the ones with the money. And what's really weird about the market, what, what I think is very strange about the market, is that the people with the actual business that customers pay for, they're the ones financing all of this stuff, except they don't work together. They don't have any tools. No one's helping them quantify their business, really. There are a couple people out there, but they're not very good at it, to be honest. So as soon as the buyers wake up and say, hey, wait a minute, we're the guys writing all the checks, men or women writing all the checks, why aren't people telling us what's happening with our money? So, you're a, you're so as soon as that happens, I think all of the money will start flowing. So do you want direction. to be in that business? Do you want to be, do you want, right now you sell games. You we make have to, selling we games. Do you want to sell to, other things than we games? We have to be in that business to run our business. Right. We've been forced to be. If there was a sophisticated buyer out there, we would be using them. Right, Definitely. so do you want to sell things beyond games given your knowledge, given the amount of technology you Not at the up? moment, no. No. And then what about the, the technology you're using to run the games? Is that something you can so support? Really, so when we say a real-time technology company, what, we, what we've essentially built in-house is we're really a high-frequency trader. So we've got an incredible platform that allows us to process a lot of data extremely fast. So the marketing is, our marketing looks more like running a NASDAQ than it does a traditional uh, marketing uh, company. Um, the game is also ran on the same technology. So the technology that we've made applies to I think every industry, I don't think it applies to just gaming or just marketing. I think it applies to anything with scale where you have to make decisions really, really quickly. Um, so that's, that's mainly what our engineering efforts are, are put against. Um, and, uh, but yeah. So this sounds to me like Amazon building AWS because Amazon needed that technology to run its business we, and eventually want, that became a business we wanted to build a, We wanted to build a game that the whole world could play at the same time. And then we realized we needed to market to the whole world to get them to all play it at the same time. And then we realized if you're going to spend that kind of money, you're going to need to manage it. And if you're going to manage it, there's nothing out there that allows you to manage that kind of money. So do you want to sell that technology that you built? No. no. Why? <laughs> I think, I think we're okay. It's working well for Amazon. So, but it, the, what the interesting thing about it is, is, this is what people don't see. You, so you asked me a really interesting question. It's like, are, do you get majority of your traffic from Facebook? The way that people buy... They, they essentially make their media more expensive by just going to one channel. 
you have to work with absolutely everybody out there to get the best price. Because people aren't just on Facebook, just on Google, just on whatever else. They're using multiple apps, multiple websites. Um, so you can price your media more effectively if you make everyone compete with each other. But the software to make everyone compete with each other doesn't exist. And the networks don't want it to exist because they, they all create their own uh, lock-in through this this complicated kind of, I've got this scheme, I've got that scheme, Google's got something different than everybody else. And it makes it very difficult for buyers to say, okay, once they learn Google, they're like, oh my gosh, I learned Google, it took me six months, now I gotta go learn Facebook, that's gonna take me six months. So once the market gets centralized around the buyer, because that's who matters, once, it, once they get centralized around the buyer, the people who are spending, actually spending the money to grow their businesses, then I think you're going to see, first, you're going to see compression on margins, a lot of compression on margins. But then you're actually going to see growth again. I need a break and I need a drink. Um, <laughs> does somebody want to ask Gabe a question? I see, I see a couple of sophisticated people coming up here. <laughs> hey. Mark, you want to introduce yourself? Mark Mahaney. Hey, Gabe, uh, enjoyed those comments. When you think there's going to be a repricing, I assume you mean a repricing down, and the yeah. magnitude of that repricing would be what? Are, you don't think that there are any good buyer tools out there in the market no. now? And then you're painting a picture of where there's a great opportunity for a disruptive network publishing platform to come out and create buyer tools. Yes. Do you think there's any of the major platforms are willing to do that now, or is it going to have to be somebody completely new? Um, so the repricing uh, will... I think eventually become very dramatic. It'll be big uh, because value will be discoverable. Are there any tools out there? Yes, but you have to combine 50 different things and it's not workable. Um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on your third question. Yeah, every, if you run a media company, you should care a lot about performance marketing. The more you care about it, the more money you will end up making. Actively avoiding it is what's hurting you. Uh, the biggest marketing companies in the world are performance marketing companies for a reason. So this idea that you can just put up a CPM and say, I have eyeballs, it's not working. And that's why you're seeing so much failure, because it's just not working. So really, there is, a, there is an opportunity for a startup to go work to create software for those media companies so they can actually begin to monetize at a higher rate, or hopefully, at least monetize at the correct rate, which would hopefully be higher. <laughs> Hi, um, Maura Walsh, Subdirect. I'm really interested, um, what is your average cost per install? And then as you look at your customer lifetime value, what percentage is that? Oh, we don't share either, I'm sorry. Okay, well, ideally, in a world where you're promoting your app, what would be an ideal rough um, percentage? Well, ideally, you would make 100x. I know, 100 as X. low as possible, but what's realistic? <laughs> um, it really, that, that really depends on your risk tolerance. So um, another thing that hurts buyers, this is, this is what really, this is, thank you for bringing this up. Um, Buyers would spend, actually spend a lot more money if they had tools to measure risk, and they don't. So um, you can move your payback periods around to whatever you want if you understand your risk. So if media companies were actively helping on performance marketing side measure value and risk, companies would be willing to invest more. 
which is why they don't want to take risk on these, CPM, these magically priced CPMs. So the real, the, the real uh, answer to that is, is that it depends on how much you're measuring. Okay. If, you're, if you're measuring everything, you can take, if you can, if you can tolerate a five-year break-even period because you know that it's going to happen, then you can pay as much as your five-year LTV. Right, right. And then um, another quick question. There's now a movement to a cost per subscriber versus a cost per sure. install. Sure. Are you doing a lot of work in that space? Um, we, well, I, 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 wouldn't, I don't think there's much, we don't do subscriptions, but I don't, there isn't right, much or difference. upsell or in-app purchase. Yeah, it's all in-app purchases, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's, it's, it, that's the par for the course, yes, everybody, I think so, yes. Okay, thanks. Question here. Hey, uh, Ian Duty from Evolution Media Capital. Uh, love, love these businesses, and, and they're so quantifiable and, and driven by metrics, but I'm curious why the public markets in the U.S. are, are kind of unfavorable toward this sector. Do you have an opinion on kind of why that is and why some of the public companies are challenged? Um, because they haven't seen direct response businesses at this scale. It's a new thing. So um, there's not a lot of historical context around worldwide direct response. There just isn't. I mean, direct response was limited to television and, and phone numbers. Um, some businesses like Expedia or whatever got really big on Google search, so those got some stability. But this concept of instant worldwide measurable distribution is five years old. So um, the public markets don't understand, they don't know how to value it yet. That's, that's what I would say. Rich, do you have two shirts or is this a repeat? This is a, this is a new shirt. <laughs> two days of Hi, Code Media, two shirts, right? Um, I just wanted to clarify what you said, Gabe. I think you said nobody should be buying TV unless they've maxed out digital. Is that what you said? TV is very expensive, and uh, that's, that's what you see. If, if, you start measure, if you measure it from a digital impact, you would probably be really disappointed if you were just doing, you know, measuring tweets or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's, it's really small. People are skipping commercials. So when you look at TV, Les Moonves says everything is great, you know, advertising's growing, things couldn't be better really for television. Yes. Uh, and that buying digital is kind of a joke, it takes too many impressions to have an impact. Where's the disconnect between you saying max out digital before you buy TV and Moonves saying digital's sort of irrelevant, TV's all that matters? Well, How do you Moonves connect owns the television. I mean, uh, <laughs> It, they, um, what are ad buyers missing? By, like, why are they still buying TV if digital works so well, in your mind? Uh, why are they still buying TV? Because they don't have the proper tools. When they have the proper tools, TV will, will have a, its own uh, reckoning. Um, Gabe, you need to talk to Wendy Millar because I think Hi. she's probably pretty angry at you. Yeah, it's I okay. <laughs> I am absolutely fascinated by uh, your thought that brand advertising will disappear. So my question to you is, how are you going to create desire as a product or service offerer if you do not understand that at the very heart of advertising is creating desire? Sure. So the disappearance I, my, of brand my, advertising? My, my, uh, uh, what I'm saying is, is that those things, many things that aren't currently measurable will become measurable. And the, I'll, I'll rephrase what I was saying. The current version of brand advertising will disappear. And the new version will be highly measured. So it'll be hard for a board, this is what I'm trying to say, a board 
that has to allocate funds to an investment, it will be hard for them to allocate to, to investments that they cannot quantify as the market becomes more quantifiable. So brand advertising as we know it will suffer because boards who allocate budgets won't be able to justify the spend when they can measure ROI positive spends on other channels. Linda says brands, brand advertising creates desire. Uh, can you measure that? Um, sure, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, des desire is what at the end? It's sales, it's conversation, it's desire a lot of other things. Desire is an art. Sure. And advertising is art and Crea science. Creative, creative is an art, but, the but you can measure the effectiveness of that art. Absolutely. Indeed, and we and we do. And Absolutely. we do. We we you we do, but barely, and it's going to get a lot better, and money will move money will move in ways, in more predictable ways. Money will move in thoughtful ways. There will be a lot less there'll be a lot less r unknown risk taking because people will be able to measure risk. That and I, there's no other way companies can function. That's just what they're going okay, to do. Okay, Wenda is going to tackle you. At the That's okay. Break. One last question. <laughs> sure. Um, my name is Brian Georgie from Operative. Um, I'm so appreciative of the Kate Upton commercials that I yeah. have to start arguing with you. Sure. But, uh, um, it's not even so much an argument. It just in terms of, I think you probably have a room full of publishers here. Yeah. That collectively are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on tech stacks in order to prove to you, the buyer, that they have an audience, that they have a specific audience, that that specific audience is behaving in a specific way, way more than they ever spent before on radio, TV, newspaper, anything yeah. else combined. So I, I guess where I'm taking exception is with your characterization that there's some kind of collusion between the publishers and the agencies in order to defraud the buyer, because from the publisher's standpoint, and I'm not even there anymore, we think the agencies and you are trying to screw the publishers over. Sure, I understand that, but at the end of the day, we write the check, right? So we're not, we have to pay, right? You're trying to justify spend when you spend money. So you say, I'm gonna spend money on this all this technology, so when Machine Zone comes around, they'll feel justified about spending money and they'll want to spend more, right? The problem is, and this is, this is actually the issue, on the technology side for the people helping, like the networks, the buyers, they themselves usually 99.999% of the time aren't buyers. <laughs> and this is actually the biggest problem. So a lot of the people making quote unquote ad tech don't actually spend any money. So they don't know what a spender, someone who spends money really needs. Correct. So there's, so, so there's that a That ad huge... tech is built really, that ad tech is built only to continue to follow the ever-changing metrics by which the publishers yeah. are held accountable, which seem to change every three to six months. Yes. So it's hard to pin anything down from a publisher's perspective That's on right. what are we now going to be asked to be accountable for next. Everything. Right? <laughs> oh, under, I'm getting that. Everything under the sun. But yeah. that, we're, once again, it's the, it's the customer, right? The customer is the, is the person buying the media. So they're going to ask for the sun because they're going to be able to get it, right? Because you're writing a check. Because they're writing the check. All right. We could keep this going. I imagine many of you will want to talk to Gabe, who yeah, beforehand was saying, I'm a little nervous about this. I'm not sure how it's going to go. <laughs> He's obviously willing to talk to you. There's coffee outside. What um, I... What I, what I, what I Anybody who buys media in this room agrees with me. Carry this conversation outside. We're going to come back here at 11. Tony Hale's also going to talk about data from Chartbeat. It's going to be awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. 